Thanks, Robin. Well, historians call them hinge moments, times in history when nothing will ever be the same again. In Scottish history, it might be the Battle of Bannockburn in 1314, or the Battle of Culloden in 1746. In British history, it might be Dunkirk in June 1940, or later that summer, the events of the Battle of Britain. More recently, there've been the assassination of JFK, the walking on the moon by Neil Armstrong, or the release of Nelson Mandela in South Africa that changed the future of that country forever. All hinge moments when history will never be the same again. Think Brexit, or hopefully the death of George Floyd. Well, a year ago this week saw such a hinge moment. The arrival of the first COVID patient at the Western General Hospital here in Edinburgh. And none of us could have predicted what the next 12 months was going to hold. As I speak, there have been 115 million people around the world who've had COVID. 123,000 people in the UK have died, while two and a half million people around the world, sadly, have died. But another hinge moment occurred on December the 8th, just before Christmas, when a grandmother from Coventry became the first person in the world to have a vaccination against COVID. And now over 20 million people in the UK have received one, a quite remarkable figure. Well, today we look at a hinge moment, a time when everything changed. Mark chapter eight, the passage that Robin read for us a few moments ago, marks the time when things change in the story of Jesus. Up to now, Jesus has been teaching and healing people announcing, declaring, proclaiming the kingdom of God. But now his followers realise that he's not simply announcing the kingdom, he actually is the king, and a king who is completely different to the one that they'd been expecting. They've been with Jesus by now for about two years. They've listened to his teaching, they've been amazed at his miracles, and the question has always been there, who was this man? a rabbi, a teacher, a prophet, and Jesus asks them, who do people say I am? And they reply with the word on the street. Some people think that you're Elijah, some other people think that you're John the Baptist, come back to life, other people think that you're one of the prophets. Jesus fixes them in his sights and says, but you, who do you say I am? And into the silence speaks Simon. Impetuous, loyal, but passionate and committed Simon. And he says the words, perhaps, that everybody else are thinking. You are the Messiah. Talk about a hinge moment in history. Does Simon realise what he's saying? That this carpenter's son from Nazareth was God's anointed, the chosen one. The person that Israel has been expecting for hundreds of years, the one who will rebuild and cleanse the temple in Jerusalem, the one who will defeat the enemy of God's people, and the one who will restore God's justice. That's what they thought the Messiah would do. But straight away, Jesus begins to reveal that he's not what they're expecting. He's a different type of Messiah, proclaiming a different type of kingdom. And being his follower is not what they've signed up for. So firstly, Jesus tells them that his death is inevitable. It was inconceivable for the Jewish people that the Messiah, the chosen one, would suffer. 
Suffering for the Jewish people meant that you were cursed by God, not blessed or chosen. Yet in Mark chapter 8, we read that Jesus begins to teach them. This is new information. This is the first time that Jesus has begun to speak about his death to his followers. They haven't heard this before. And he says to them clearly, the Son of Man must suffer. The Son of Man must be rejected. And the Son of Man must be killed. Jesus doesn't just predict it. He says that he will do it voluntarily. That it's all part of God's plan. Jesus' death was not an accident of history or a mistake, but it was in God's plan all along. And secondly, Jesus says that his death sets the pattern for us, his followers. Simon, the one who has just declared that Jesus is the Messiah, the chosen one, takes Jesus aside. He doesn't want to embarrass Jesus publicly. And he starts to rebuke Jesus. The word is really strong. This isn't what Simon has signed up for. Jesus can't die. The Messiah can't be killed. This isn't why Simon agreed to follow Jesus. He wants Jesus, he needs Jesus to be the Messiah that he expects and needs him to be. And getting killed isn't part of Simon's plan. In the words of Charlie Brown from the Snoopy cartoon, winning isn't everything, but losing isn't anything. Jesus dying is not part of Simon's plan, but it is central to the plan and mission of Jesus. And he turns on Simon, and he doesn't mince his words. Simon, you are Satan. You do not understand God's ways. You're only thinking as a human. You're on the devil's side. Minutes after the high point of saying that Jesus is the Messiah and being commended by Jesus and told that he is the rock on which Messiah on which Jesus will build his church, Simon has that same Messiah saying that he is evil personified. Ouch. It doesn't get much worse than this. You think I shouldn't die, Simon? Well, if you follow me, it's part of your job description too. And so we come to this third and final point of of a paradox. We die, Jesus says, in order that so we can live. It is one of the most profound paradoxes at the heart of the Christian faith. That as we deny our own desires, our plans, our expectations, and we do what Jesus wants us to do, we become more fully who we really are. We don't lose our sense of who we are as individuals. We don't become clones of Jesus or one another. That suppression of our identity and self is an Eastern idea found in religions like Buddhism or Hinduism, not Christianity. No, in denying ourselves, Jesus says, we become who we were always meant to be. And in following Jesus and in seeking to do his will in our lives and in the lives of others, we don't simply modify our behaviour and exchange one performance-based system or morality for another. Rather, we recognise that Jesus is King. And you don't negotiate with kings if you're a subject. In the words of C.S. Lewis, we're not simply imperfect creatures that need to say sorry. We are rebels that need to lay down our arms. To be a Christian, to be a follower of Jesus, is to surrender control of our lives over to Jesus. 
It is no longer about what we want, our desires, our rights. In fact, it's quite the reverse. And remember, Jesus is making this statement in a place called Caesarea Philippi, the place where there was a huge temple built in honour of and for the worship of the Emperor Caesar. Jesus is quite deliberately for the first time declaring that he, Jesus, is the king, not Caesar, to a backdrop of a temple dedicated to the worship of Caesar and the proclamation of Caesar as a god. Jesus is declaring that the kingdom he is proclaiming is very different to human kingdoms and to human empires. That to be a member of his kingdom wasn't about the rights enjoyed by the subjects of the empire, but the radically different nature of this kingdom. And that that kingdom has inspired billions of people over the last 2,000 years. In one well-known incident, about 70 years ago now, a group of Jesus followers arrived on a riverbank in South America, determined to tell the tribe that lived there about this person, about this Jesus, about this King, about this Messiah, that hinge person in human history. Within minutes, that whole group of followers of Jesus lay dead on the riverbank, killed by those same tribespeople that they'd come to share Jesus with. One of them, a man called Jim Elliot, had written these words in his journal a few years before that was discovered after his death. Elliot wrote this, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That paraphrase of the words of Jesus in Mark chapter 8 reveals the paradox of following Jesus. That as we follow Jesus, we surrender all and have everything to gain. So where do we need to surrender to Jesus today? What are the areas of our lives that we need to hand over control of to Jesus? Where are we trying to hold on to our lives and where do we need to release control to Jesus? And find that as we loosen our grip, we find our life more enriched and purposeful than we have ever known. Jesus lived, Jesus died, and Jesus was raised again so that we too might die to ourselves and find life on Jesus' terms, as it was always meant to be lived. Let's pray together. Jesus, we ask your forgiveness when we impose our expectations, our desires, and our rights onto you and your kingdom. When, just like Simon, we expect you to be the Messiah, the King, that we need you and want you to be. Would you help us to release control of our lives over to you, to surrender to you, the one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who knows what's best for us, the one who is able to make that happen. And may we know that same spirit that raised you from the dead at work in us, 
helping us to become more like Jesus and paradoxically at the same time more truly and fully ourselves that the lives that we live might show that we belong to your kingdom that we are indeed your subjects and that you are our king in Jesus name Amen <laughs>